It's May 22nd, 2023. Welcome, everyone. So I hope you guys were feeling the vibes because we got to really feel the vibes because June is going to be super off the hook. And you know, today's theme is other people's property. Shimmy, shimmy. Other people's property and ABC. Now, when I say ABC, we can kind of <laughs> take it to a position of, what do you mean by ABC? Well, what do we call the alphabets? Agencies. Now let's, let's kind of just revisit what has happened, you know, in just the past week, what you heard from those FBI agents, things that you've been hearing here. Uh, I'm not an FBI agent. I can still hear exactly what they're saying. Cause it felt the same. It is no secret. You guys that, you know, I, I think I have a dedicated hate army and that's fine. I'll tell you why. Having unwavering commitment to truth, justice, and the well-being of the people is my core function. I think that's my fuel, aside from cigarettes and coffee. But let's just shed a little bit of light on what truth really means. Because truth lies in the heart of the people. And it should be in the heart of our media landscape because it impacts society. It is no secret that the news outlets we once relied on to inform us Oh, erroneously that we put all our eggs in that basket. We, we waited for them to inform us and, the, and to hold powers accountable, powers that be accountable, and to represent the voice of the people. And that has completely faltered. In the pursuit of their own interests, the media conglomerates, I would say, they have become purveyors of propaganda, bending the truth to fit partisan agendas and censoring voices that dare challenge the status quo. Now, while many of you may believe that there are people out there challenging the status quo, you have to remember, they're only challenging the things that they want you to hear. Their niche, their spiel, not the news. I've experienced firsthand frustration of attempting to report the news. when I wasn't giving it out freely and with discretion, almost like the way, right? The media has made a ton of money off of the information that Julian Assange has provided them throughout the years and throughout time, only for them to abandon him and not speak of him unless someone who they pander to or they feel they're influenced to speaks of him themselves. That's bad, bad juju right there. I find that is really bad juju. Because why can't we have the truth all the time? Why can't we be talking about the truth all the time? Interests. See, I loathe it when people say, oh, Tori, you just want to be known that you knew. Yeah, I fucking know. Pay attention. Who's running the news cycle? You are. See, it's, <laughs> I've experienced this frustration 
being met with silence and indifference from mainstream media, but the alternative media that has gained your trust. They've gained your trust so that they can control the flow of information once again. This is partisan censorship. It's, it's a calculated tactic designed to lull the masses into complacency, ignorance, and ultimately submission. This is what's important. Why are they talking about things late? Why don't they talk about things when they should? Why aren't we having these conversations? Well, obviously, it's the interests that fund them. Because censorship is not about you being able to get on your soapbox. It's who can hear you from your soapbox. You know, um, I had an interesting kind of uh, morning interaction. And I heard someone describe President Trump, right? You know, you know, I always knew that Trump was going to be president. What did he say? When that grab him by the pussy video came out and he ate that for lunch. You know, he ate that for lunch. He was like, you're a rapist. You're this, you're that. He ate it for lunch. See, the intelligence community and people understand that people that have power cannot be intimidated, even with their own dirty laundry. And by power, it means knowledge and uh, appreciation of such, right? This is why he eats up for lunch. This is why he's Teflon. Because the more shit they throw at him, the bigger he becomes. The more crap they do to him, the bigger they become. Now, it's pretty interesting because usually people that act like that have a shit ton of money. Or they have faith that someone's looking after them. I mean, we all are. God watches everything. But you know, the truth... I have been seeking to share for years in different modes, either, you know, with my lefty LGBTQ, XYZ, <laughs> H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P accounts, or just my name, um, is inconvenient. The truth I want to share is also uncomfortable and does not align with any narratives anyone wishes to perpetuate. Therefore, the silence of the people claiming to support us, well, well, in their silence, I guess, they perpetuate corruption and actively participate in it. See, by silencing voices that are telling us or providing us information that is necessary in order to, uh, to understand the environment that we are in. That, and by environment, it's not just the sky, the trees, but your political environment, your local community environment, your financial environment, your industrial environment, right? Health environment, right? Everything. By doing that, they, they perpetuate corruption. They're worse. It's the bystander effect for their gain. The motivation behind their censorship and manipulation is not solely to protect themselves, but rather maintain a system that benefits their own kind, the powerful at the expense of the people. This is really important. It's extremely important to understand that tactic because they are knowingly doing this and they are willingly doing this. I mean, how many times have you heard Patel talking about devolution? Like, shut the fuck up already. Can we talk about current events? Can you tell people what they can do? 
How many times have you heard all these people? Like I listen to this stuff when I wake up in the morning and I'm not on a Zoom call. I listen to other people's things and I'm like, what the hell are they doing? They're driving the country into the toilet because they're not arming the people with actual information in a timely fashion. It drives me insane. Drives me insane because I don't know how to respond to it. Do I just do something? Do I just, you know, exploit their vulnerabilities? I would be wrong because then I'm no better than them. But I can vent and that's exactly what I'm doing today. And in a, I'm going to try to do it in a very eloquent way as well. As I said, this is not just about self-preservation to maintain a system of money audience and provide pacification to the powerful at expense of the people. But by controlling the narrative, they wield tremendous influence over public opinion, shaping it to suit their own interests. This is partisan censorship. Like I said, it's a very calculated tactic designed to lull you to sleep with the end goal of your full and unfettered submission voluntarily. But we must not allow ourselves to be lulled into complacency. We must recognize the manipulation of truth, the omission of crucial information, the delays in reporting actual and factual information, the recycling of news because you forget, right? <sighs> the propagation of these half-truths are not accidental occurrences. They are deliberate strategies employed to serve the interests of the powerful and to preserve a system that thrives on corruption and deceit. Now, more than ever, it's vital to question the sources of our information always and to seek out alternative perspectives. We must become active participants in this show, in our own education, diligently searching for the truth in the midst of a sea of mis- or disinformation. We must be demanding transparency, accountability, and ethical reporting from those that claim they represent us. That is your job. The people of the United States, that is your job. The power to combat the deception lies within us, the people. We must refuse to be mere consumers of news, accepting the narratives that are being fed to us. We must refuse that. Instead, we must be critical thinkers, seekers of truth, voices of reason. We have the ability to challenge the status quo, to demand honest reporting, and to hold the media accountable for their role in perpetuating corruption and promoting their own interests. See, in this fight for truth and justice, one thing we shouldn't be doing is succumbing to despair or apathy. Because we must remember that collectively, as a nation, as a people, we are a force to be reckoned with. And we can dismantle the walls of deception and build our society with where truth reigns, reigns supreme. <laughs> I say this again and again, and, you know, pedestrian persons will sit there and tell you other things, but <laughs> this is the key. I mean, think about it, right? We have Julian Assange, 
imprisoned for speaking the truth about governments, and he's fighting extradition, which will be a death sentence, while global, global censorship is being promoted. The situation is undoubtedly concerning. The suppression of information and the restriction of free speech pose significant challenges to the principles of transparency and democracy that we hold dear. Firstly, the arrest and imprisonment of Julian, a whistleblower, a, a magnificent, you know, hold on a second. Just like me and many other nerds, isn't Julian Assange a person of national interest and is filed under that? I mean, uh, that's a question. I should research that. Because I believe from his hacking attempts when he was a young guy, they offered him national interest protection. Offering him, wait a minute. That just came as a stream of thought live, literally. Hmm, got to look into that. Because all the nerds are classified in a certain way. Hmm, that's interesting. Hmm, I have to take a look into that. But state secrets and all, right? Some of them are apparent, some are not. But, oh, <laughs> huh, that was interesting. I'm sorry, that has just caused me to kind of, hmm, right? Just, hmm. Fascinating. So as I was saying, the arrest and imprisonment of Julian Assange signifies the crackdown on dissenting voices and the exposure of alleged sensitive information that you or anybody else is not allowed to see. We have to remember the whistleblowers play a crucial role. A role. I'm still mulling around the idea that he might been class might have been classified as a person of national interest. Damn. Hmm. Hmm. You know, because all these Mensa nerds, including myself, have that classification. Hmm. That's interesting. Anyway, whistleblowers <laughs> play a crucial role in <coughs> uncovering misconduct, relieve, re revealing um, secrets, hidden truths, and holding governments accountable by arresting and incarcerating. Julian Assange, those in power attempt to silence the truth and deter others from coming forward with valuable information. Now, to understand why, we must understand what it is that is the bottom of this. Look, we're talking right now and we're going to, we're going to, let's, let's, let's understand what's really happening. We find ourselves in a world where things appear to be absurd, where the actions of those in power seem irrational, nonsensical, clown show, right? But let me assure you that there's a purpose behind this madness. It is a purpose to expose and exhaust those who cannot perceive the actual reality, a reality that unveils the truth of our times. In this grand spectacle, you see, we witness, we are witness of a war, a war not fought with weapons of physical destruction, I guess, it, directly, but a war for consciousness and awakening. The absurdity that surrounds us is deliberate. It's a deliberate strategy, 
a means to shake us from our slumber and make us question the very fabric of our existence. We're living in a time where distractions reign supreme, where you're pulled into different rabbit holes, where superficiality and triviality consume our thoughts and divert our attention. It's deliberate. It's a deliberate ploy to keep us docile, confused, unaware of the forces at play. But today, I ask you to cast aside that veil of ignorance and see right through the charade. Stop being pessimistic. We're also getting our organization. I'm, I'm, I'm working on that, okay? It's literally happening, okay? It's got to be something that can stand the test of time and be here when we, who are now conjoining here, are not going to be here. We need that. Uh, I, we must recognize that this battle that we face is not physical conflict. I mean, there are physical aspects, but it's not, at first instance, physical conflict, but mental and emotional liberation. It's a call to awaken minds, to break free of the chains of conformity and societal conditioning. They, they have been oppressing the people globally. And our oppressors thrive on our ignorance, on our complacency. They fear our collective realization and unity. So what we must all be doing is embracing our individuality and rising above the absurdity that surrounds us. Each one of us possesses the power to see through these illusions, to question the narratives presented to us. I mean, we must reclaim our critical thinking, our intuition, and our ability to discern truth. It's through our awakened consciousness that we become agents of change. We become the warriors of justice, compassion, and equality. Because the war we face is not one of hatred or division but a war for unity, love, and understanding. As we navigate through this battlefield of ideas, remember, it is not just a journey to be taken alone. You should be seeking out like-minded individuals, like I said, with your Green Dragon Tavern meetings. You should be discussing with people within your counties and within your states, those who also yearn for truth and liberation. Because together, we do create a ripple effect that will reverberate throughout society, awakening the masses from their slumber. So let's embrace the ridiculousness, for within it lies the key to our liberation. Let us tire those who cannot see, exhausting their misguided efforts while we gather strength and unite in purpose. I mean, look at it. Even the left is sick of the trans stuff. Even the left is sick of what Biden does. Even the left is sick of the fact that they won't have a primary because they said, Biden is it, that's all you're going to get. No joke. So we're standing on the precipice of change right now. May 22nd, 2023. Here it is. It's our responsibility to challenge the status quo to transcend the absurdity and to create a world that aligns with truth, justice, and compassion. I mean, I was on Reddit today and I found a report so poorly put together. Sounds like they're a little bit confused. And 
it, it's, it's more so I take it to the fact of, huh, why now? Why now? Uh, why now? Why are they talking about it now? Why are they doing this now? Why is it happening now? These are the questions we should be asking ourselves. Because, you know, right now we have Julian Assange incarcerated, fighting against the extradition back to the United States, which highlights the perceived risks and potential consequences that are faced by whistleblowers who challenge the status quo. Let me remind you, let me remind you what the FBI agent said and what he went through. I want us to look at a very specific portion of that interview because it's highly important. It's very important that you listen carefully to what is being said here. Body language goes to the dope job, by the way. Here we go. United States, yes or no? It is absolutely important that person. I'll take that as a yes. Do you believe States. you should have allegiance to the United States to possess a security clearance? Yes or no? Absolutely. Do you believe your obligation as a federal agent should supersede your First Amendment right? Yes or no? Can you please rephrase the question, ma'am? Do you believe that your obligation as a federal agent should supersede your First Amendment right? Yes or no? I don't know. Can you please rephrase the question again, ma'am? Do you believe that you have an obligation to serve as a federal agent regardless of what your personal political beliefs are? Yes, I have Thank an obligation you. to Thank serve you. the United States. Do you States believe that FBI agents should be permitted to express support for individuals who stormed the Capitol on January 6th? Yes or no? I believe agents have to do their jobs, ma'am. Do you believe that agents should be permitted to express their support for individuals who stormed the Capitol on January 6th? Yes or no? It's a simple question. No, you're supposed to be apolitical, ma'am, and do your job so as that an is FBI a no? person. You're supposed to be apolitical and do your job. I'm asking for a simple yes or no. Can you please Not a difficult question. question. Do you believe that FBI agents should be... So allow me to say something on this. If you guys remember uh, earlier this year, January, that is, I was talking about Romania, right? I was talking about Romania and I was collating that information to get him impeached. You're welcome, by the way. And I did break it on Conservative Daily that, hey, this is going to get him removed. But I'm going to tell you what she's telling him. Do you No, agency said should be impartial, right? I'm impartial too. And in order to get to the bottom of something, in order to be able to understand something, you have to be able to compartmentalize your relationships, your information, right? Everything. So I remember, you know, when I was doing the Romania thing, I, there was a portion where um, the mayor was hired by Louis Freya uh, to write a report about um, the Romanian dude. And Prior to doing that, they, you know, there was an empty pocket, obviously asked questions. This is why I like Garrett Ziegler. He called everyone Devin Archer, even though they lied to him the most of the time. He actually did it. And so I actually met and I said, all right, this is what I've got. I want to ask you these questions. Nope. I was just hired. You know, my company was hired to write the report, which was pretty standard. Right. Done. Right. Perfect. I needed to ask the questions to fill in the holes. But let me, let me ask you something. And I want you to think about it even though I consider the mayor top, 
I simply adore him. You know, he's like a father figure I didn't have per se, right? Uh, he's someone that I would aspire to have his values and knowledge, right? Same as other people. But do you believe that if he did something dirty, I wouldn't put it down? Of course I would. And I would tell him that I'm putting it down. Do you understand? It's be, being able to compartmentalize and to see truth for truth and facts for facts. Obviously, he did nothing wrong, but it was very interesting, you know, how everything transpired. And this is what our FBI agents, who are a police agency, not intelligence, should be doing. This is where, what our intelligence community should be doing without being fueled with, it needs to be impartial, just like judges need to be impartial. They can't come in hot and heavy because they don't like your face. They can't come in hot or heavy, you know, because you're, you, you know, you're a podcaster. Uh, and, and I say this, why? I remembered this morning when I was thinking about the impartiality arguments that I was having with people, you know, they're not impartial. They're all about themselves. They're all about interest. And you know what? And I was like, I wish they were more like judges, which is false too, because they are not, they are politicized. Because I remember the first damn hearing I had with the attorney general in February of 2018 for an order to produce information where I told him pretty much, fuck you. I told the judge, I have the right to privacy. If he can't provide any legal grounds for me to produce what he's asking, then I don't have to. And you know what the judge turned around and said? This isn't your radio show, ma'am. And the only people in there were me and five attorney generals. Pay attention. That is how you know when something's been politicized. When they come in with a biased view when they're assessing a situation. I don't like a lot of people. I don't like what they've done. I, I, um, I, I don't agree with what they've done. I will not judge them. But when it comes to being impartiality, right, you got to be impartial. It's like, for example, I can't stand Ali Akbar. He's a disgusting human being. He tried to railroad our whole nation for his own pride, right? He, and, and he's a piece of crap. Okay, done. Piece of crap. Done. But if he's right in something, I have to defend that and forget that it's attached to him. Forget this, forget that. And I'm bringing him up because everybody knows how I feel about that because I've been screaming it from the top of the mountain. And because he was targeting me with false, deliberately false narratives, which everyone will forget anyway, I would still stand by his rights because that's the way it is. And that's the way it should be done. Every single one of you should be operating like that in your life when you come across situations. You don't have to agree with the person. You don't have to like the person, but you can appreciate their stance and you should always fight to the death for them to have the same rights that you want, regardless, right? Regardless. So now let's continue with this whole loyalty question because this is quite fascinating here. Permitted to express support for individuals who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. You should not be voicing support for criminal conduct. You okay, have to thank you. You job apolitically, ma'am. Thank you. Mr. Allen, have you ever used Twitter, yes or no? I have utilized Twitter, yes. Okay, and is your account at Marcus A97050645? That is absolutely not my account. Okay, that's not your account. Well, on December 5th, 2022, an account under the name Marcus Allen retweeted a tweet that said, That quote, is not my account, ma'am. You haven't let me finish the question, sir. You might sir. have been the football player. You haven't let me finish the question. 
on and the time is mine. On December 5th, 2022, an account under the name of Marcus Allen retweeted a tweet that said, quote, Nancy Pelosi staged January 6th, retweet if you agree, end quote. Now, again, I said this when I played this last week, right? Almost like how I told you, we're getting an, another Oklahoma City, and apparently I can't even drop anonymous information now because IPs are being tracked and they're being purged, FBI. So you've got someone deleting your tip lines. Hence, now I have to do this publicly, which shines a bigger light on me and I'm getting pissed. But anyway, I digress. So Ms. Sanchez proceeds to provide statements made by an account that's not his, trying to attach it to him when it's not his. See, we had that during the impeachment hearing when they edited Jennifer Lawrence's tweet, made her verify, changed the words, and then presented it as evidence in something that's supposed to be a legal proceeding that abides by the laws and they still got away with it. So do you see the ridiculousness and it gets you upset, right? But let it get you upset. It doesn't matter. You got to let it roll off because it's got to happen. You've been home. We've got to show you. We can't just tell you. So huh, pay attention to what she's doing. While all of you are like, this is stupid. He said, it's not his. Guys, I've got like thousands of documents where they're putting shit down there saying it's mine. I'm like, no, it's not. Why don't you prove it? We can't. You need to acknowledge it. The fuck out of here. And this is exactly what she's doing to him. Exactly what she's doing to him. It's not yours, but it doesn't matter. Do you agree with that statement? Yes or no? That That is, I don't, no, ma'am. That's not my account at all. I have I'm no asking idea. whether you agree with that statement, yes or no. Can you please rephrase the statement? Yeah. Do you think I'm the gentle lady has expired. Staged all right, so this was the first insanity well, the first of that they actually get to answer. And this is pretty much how it goes. An emotional, Karen response to whistleblowers exposing the corruption. In their mind, it's their SJW moment. And I'm going to have to explain that, why we see the behavior that we're seeing. She's very loud. She's cutting him off. And he's trying to be very calm. Because remember, I've talked about this before. We need to talk about it again to just refresh people's mind. These individuals live in emotion, which puts them in a reality that really does not exist unless a lot of people believe it. Well, that reality is crumbling as more and more people step away from the fantasy, which is making them act out. And then we all get to see the insanity. This is a public setting word testifying, but can you tell, you, tell the American people what has happened in your life since you have come forward and given this information? All right. So let me just say something on that. So body language goes dope, man. I want to feed this person, drink beers with this person. They do a, an exceptional job. If you're not following their channel, uh, you know, you must. Fucking Kelly is talking. Kelly, you look different, huh? So all you've seen during those hearings that the media has not replayed. So people are lulled asleep to see what they do to one of their own, right? Like Body Language Ghost said, their reality is crumbling. They have less people joining in. So I, was it yesterday or the day before yesterday? Gavin had tweeted something about uh, a, if, if something is real, if it exists. And I think we can go into scriptures and we can go into everything. Kelly Armstrong is who's Kelly right there. I actually saw that comment because I flipped through. I know it's delayed. Man, I thump for him too. Hmm. Hmm. He looks different. Just saying. And one of his staffers hung himself when he won, but <laughs> during the party, but 
I digress. Let's continue. So um, their reality is crumbling, but how does that work? And what did body, body language ghosts just tell you, right? Body language ghosts just said, their reality is crumbling because they don't have so many people to see it. When one or two people gather in my name, right, then it's real and we're talking and that's a church. I want you guys to think of notions of information and facts. When two people get together and observe it, then it's real, right? Two people observe it, then it's real. Kind of like, hey, I see a stop sign. Nobody else sees it. But the minute one other person sees it, guess what? It's real. Do you see what I'm saying? Because if you have another person that can see the same thing, then there's that reality bubble. It's like your own dome, your own sphere of conceiving what's happening. And so as they had this big, big, big bubble, I want you to imagine it like those things from like, what's that game where you used to push a bubble, sorry, to do the dice. So picture this big dome over America and they're the ones freaking popping it, popping it and getting the dice. But suddenly it's become so small that, you know, you can't even roll the dice anymore. You've got the dice in your hands now. And see, this is where you see them screaming because they have nothing else to say. All they do is get agitated. All they do is scream. All they do is shout. The minute you take away their power of being a witness to the shit that they push, they're gone. The same thing goes for influencers. The minute you stop retweeting, the minute you stop following, they're gone. It's poof. It's disappeared. It's like I'm walking down the street and I've got a bruise on my thigh. Do you know I have a bruise on my thigh? Absolutely not. So that bruise does not exist. It only exists in my reality. And if I pull my pants down and show it to you, right? This is how you do it. Two or three people, it needs more than one person. So two or more have to come to the table and see the same thing. This is, yeah, this is how it's done. And someone corrected me, I think. The game was trouble, not sorry. I really like that game because of the way the dice was rolled, and it was kind of neat. But anyway, let's listen to what Kelly Armstrong has to say, who looks real different lately. Very different. Well, thank you for that. Um, beyond uh, leaking my medical information to the New York Times and insinuating that I was under disciplinary action for shooting a firearm in my backyard inappropriately, um, I was also denied the opportunity to seek outside employment on two occasions, denied my training records, which in essence is denying me outside employment. Uh, the uh, inspector general is now aware of the illegal and improper gag order that was issued on, on me that basically told me that I was not allowed to speak to my family or my attorney about the existence of an investigation. So if somebody, if one of your former colleagues is looking at this and watching this and they have information that they think is subject to a being shed light on with the American people. Do you think this do you think how you've been treated would give them pause? It has, and that's why they laundered the information to me, and that's how I've been able to expose more things now from the outside. And Mr. O'Boyle, we, we just heard from you, your, your interaction with Mr. Gates and how all of this occurred and all of the hardships you've gone through. If one of your really good friends, your former colleagues, came to you and said, I have this thing that is being covered up, and I think the American people know to, know, need to know about it. What advice would you give them? I would tell them first to pray about it, long and hard. 
and I would tell them I could take it to Congress for them, or I could put them in touch with Congress, but I would advise them not to do it. So you would legitimately try to protect one of your colleagues from doing what you have done? Absolutely. And how do you think that solves being able to shine light on corruption, weaponization, any kind of mis- That is so true. I say that all the time to people that I engage with. You don't want to know. Don't ask me questions because you'll be put in a hot box. Don't take it forward because they will destroy you. I do not want you to go through what I went through. What they describe about the leaking records, I told you guys, they had a Facebook created where they had me when I was... Uh, you know, doing chemo, they had pictures of me and people were like posting it. My medical records were literally leaked. Literally leaked. I had that. I even had a, an attempt for an unconstitutional gag order when I was just like, fuck you, come get it. You know, and, and this is it. You need to know your power. You need to know that you, you need to know where you stand and where you are willing to burn at the stake and take it. Not a lot of people can do that. Their lives can be destroyed. Not everyone can stand up. And I commend him for saying that because he'll protect the other people with something, right? Because he knows just how horrific the backlash is, right? I have been humiliated with things that aren't even true. I can't even take them down. Not yet, that is. I can't. They're trying to come at me in any way they can. And he made that statement that I've made many times before. If you have information to please, no matter how much clout you want to chase, you do not want that backlash because you may not be in a position to stand as firm and you will be mowed down. They did it to their own. Their own are telling you, don't come out. Don't be a whistleblower because it's terrifying. Use me. I'm already burnt. That's important because there are a lot of people that are suffering. These men have been suffering for a long time and you had no idea. Now you do. There are others that have been suffering. God bless the people that help fund them and get them together. Something friends said that they wouldn't release his records. Guys, they didn't even release my medical records. They didn't even release my medical records which I needed for my health. You think they're going to give them records to get a job? This is how they operate. I know because I've seen the, these <laughs> operations overseas when we get people thinking maybe we shouldn't be killing innocent people. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this and suddenly they're gone. Poof, they're gone. These people are incredibly brave. And if I was brick and mortar like them, I don't know if I would have had the strength to do it because when you're brick and mortar... Oh boy, is it harder. Oh boy, is it harder. You know, because the one thing people need to understand is that um, uh, something that's of utmost important is that it pertains to the delicate balance between national security and the constraints imposed by existing laws and regulations, right? Uh, this is very important. And I think, I find it actually dutiful to actually shed light on covert initiatives undertaken by our government. One that involves funding private intelligence efforts to navigate through the legal complexities to ensure the safety and well-being of our nation. Now, while many may say that is almost imperative, that we should be indeed uh, providing avenues to protect our national security through private intelligence agencies, uh, you know, it's, it's also very dirty and dark.
Because in an era where traditional intelligence gathering methods face increasing scrutiny and limitations, we find ourselves confronted with the challenge of staying one step ahead of those that wish to harm us, our nation, um, and, you know, finding out who our real enemies are. And this necessitates exploring alternative avenues, like utilizing resources and expertise outside of the conventional structures of government agencies, right? So you can appreciate, you can appreciate as to why they have private intelligence agencies, right? And this is, I understand that. So when I was proposed to take off that uniform and wear as many as they gave me, I understood that concept, I actually understood that concept because uh, the truth is way stranger than fiction. And so the necessity to find alternative avenues in such endeavors may indeed be unconventional, but they are driven by the paramount duty to protect our citizens and maintain the security of our nation. And then it's a very delicate balance. And one that is very easily politicized or incentivized because private intelligence and efforts that are funded indirectly by the U.S. government through NGOs or other means are strategic means to bypass legal restrictions that impede the timely acquisition of critical information. These initiatives operate within a carefully crafted legal framework designed to provide the necessary flexibility while upholding the principles of accountability and oversight, allegedly. So by leveraging these private entities, they gain access to specialized skills, cutting-edge technologies like Google, right, or Qualcomm, or others. By the way, Micron, which is a U.S.-based, I just wanted to say this, Micron, that is a U.S.-based chip manufacturer, well, it does like memory and stuff like that, they've just been banned by China, pretty interesting. I just thought I'd throw that out there. But anyway, as I was saying, um, by leveraging these private entities, you know, like InQtel, like, you know, NSO Group or other foreign entities that are private entities or TAC, you know, or CDI or Global Group, right? They provide a diverse networks that complement and enhance the capabilities of our official intelligence agencies. Like I said, the CIA was my customer. The DIA was my customer. The DOD was my customer. The FBI was my customer. MI6 was my customer. D you know, French intelligence, which is, well, by the way, one of the top financial intelligence agencies. You do not want to fuck with them when it comes to money because remember, they're the only ones that stole records from Switzerland, which is supposed to be like a vault, okay? They were all my customer. I was representing my country, the United States of America. Remember that. But this collaborative approach enable us, enables us as a nation to adapt swiftly to evolving threats, to gather intelligence almost instantly that may otherwise elude us with the confines of traditional channels, right? Now, it's essential to emphasize that these private intelligence efforts do not operate allegedly in a lawless realm, but they actually do. They're not supposed to, but they do. Five Eyes is just a symbolic Nine eyes, symbolic. Fourteen eyes, symbolic, right? They're all symbolic. They're supposed to be non, they're not supposed to be lawless, but they are. They've been highly politicized. They're supposed to be subject to rigorous oversight, including monitoring by designated government bodies responsible for ensuring adherence to legal and ethical standards. But when I realized that in New Zealand, 
I could just walk in as long as I could get through the door and access anything I want without logging in who I am. That's a big deal. Hence why everyone went to New Zealand, right? You know, all the corrupt cronies. We must recognize the importance of safeguarding civil liberties and protecting the privacy of individuals. And every effort should be made to strike the appropriate balance between national security imperatives and respect for fundamental rights. For example, all of you are seeing, oh my gosh, the bank just gave out information for J6. I said that shit in 2020. I didn't bank with any of them, so I had no standing. But I was trying to advise anyone, and I know a lot of you sent letters, to send letters to Wells Fargo and Bank of America and say, did you disclose my details? Answer the fucking question. You get that on record. That's a massive class action suit. I said that in 2020. But obviously, your alternative media that's so on your side with all their beautiful events that you pay tickets to go and watch while they do absolutely nothing didn't come under a unified voice to do it because they're more important. They know. Memes, right? That's how we do it. No. It's by knowing where our rights are, guys. Guys, let me, let me explain something to you. I was in a state where I had nobody, no family, no no one, right? I was up against a whole state, the FBI, the CIA, everybody was up my behind. I mean, I went to go see Jeff Sessions and they pulled prints off of my girlfriend's car, okay? And yet, I did not waver because I have faith. I did not waver and I had nobody. There was no attorney that could see me. I had absolutely no money because I put myself in that position where I handed over all my stuff to my ex because I wanted to protect my family. <laughs> Little did I know that would, <sighs> God is good. But if I could do that, where I'm, when I express to you the harassment I went through, it's, it's an understatement. Do you know what it's like to go to the movies with your kid and sit down and then people just get up and move because they don't want to be around you? Do you know what it's like to go to the only supermarket they have and you're just shopping your groceries and someone throws shit at you and you're like, damn, you're throwing shit at me and I'm trying to help you so you don't pay taxes. You know, you're doing this to me and you're saying this stuff to me and it's not right. And yet they would do it. They mock the tragedies. They use crimes committed against us, you know, and mocked me for it and shamed me for what? For being a victim? For my family being a victim? Are you kidding? And yet I still stood up. I don't think people understand the gravity of the situation that I was in. I know I, there was actually only one person and, and, and I appreciate the friendship that has grown from that. That was one of the people that would harass me. And, you know, they, you know, she came and found me um, almost half a year later and said, you know, I wanted to apologize. Actually, I don't know why I was swept up in that and I paid attention to stuff. You're, you've been right about everything. And so... It was just a deployment of a PSYOP. I knew what it was, but it still bothered me. It still caused me pain. It, it still caused me mental suffering, right? Even when you know what's happening, it still causes you that. I want you guys to understand that because you got to have some stop. 
you got to be like, no, this is where I stop. Like you could, you could smack me, hit me, whip me, but here's where I stand. And I'm like, nah, man, I'd rather burn alive than let you get away with that crap. Every single one of you should have that stop point and realize which, where it is. Now, going back to these private intelligence agencies, while, you know, using private intelligence agencies uh, causes concerns about transparency, right, and influence and (laughs) incentives and, you know, corruption and uh, infiltration and invasion and, 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 it's, it's, it's really crucial to comprehend that certain situations demand agility and discretion because the evolving nature of threats we face necessitates innovative solutions, often requiring actions that are not openly disclosed due to their sensitive nature. So it is the responsibility of the government to make difficult decisions guided by the interests of our nation and citizens. But now we're at the point, right, where um, we're like almost like way beyond that. Because our government, though tasked to make difficult decisions that should be Their guiding light on those decisions should be the interests of the people of the United States and then the nation, not the nation and the citizens. And so they have that responsibility, but as we can see, they've been extremely politicized. You know, when I um, was a private contractor, I was kind of self-soothing, self-assuring myself that accountability was the central pillar for such activities. It was, you know, I was continue, you know, I, I believe that there was continuous evaluation, robust internal oversight, cooperation with appropriative, uh, appropriate like legislative bodies, working with our international partners, ensuring that funding and utilization of private intelligence efforts remain within the bounds of legality and align with the democratic republic, whatever, totalitarian, whatever that government wants, principles of that nation. So funding private intelligence efforts by the U.S. government is a strategic response, and it always has been, to the challenges posed by modern threats. And it's undertaken with the goal of upholding our national security while respecting legal frameworks. It's an, it's, it's an approach that requires and demands careful consideration, balancing the imperative to protect our citizens with the need to preserve civil liberties. And it's, it's highly complex to navigate that kind of landscape. And I, um, I have been working on proposals on doing that, that, you know, that's what I do for fun. I provide proposals. But going back to that, think about it, right? A lot of people have created, uh, has, have created like this weird connection between WikiLeaks and private intelligence, which is erroneous. Julian Assange has become a courageous journalist. And WikiLeaks was an independent media outlet for data dumps to provide to media, kind of like what I was doing behind the scenes with their 3 a.m. drops. Some of them were misleading. Of course, that was shit ton of fun to do. But you give them the information so they can start reporting, right? And it's important that now that we're in the face of censorship, that there will be courageous journalists and independent 
people and outlets dedicated to uncovering and sharing the truth. The thing is, they're in this pocket that they 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 need to make money. They need to do this. They need to have a corner. They need to drop the story. They need to monetize on it. They need, they need, they need, they need, rather than the needs of the people, which is how it goes wrong. This is why Julian Assange is so loved. The arrest of such a high-profile journalist like Julian should be galvanizing public discourse and mobilizing grassroots movements, advocating for transparency and justice. And we're seeing that all these journalists, they made a shit ton of money off of the information that he provided are doing absolutely nothing. They're posting memes. They're talking smack. The power of social media and citizen journalism should not be underestimated. That is a conversation I had back in 2009 with Andy Breitbart. Should not be underestimated. In fact, it is citizen journalism and social media that can amplify messages, raise awareness, and demand accountability from all and any governments. Ultimately, the fight for justice, free speech, and transparency rests not only on the shoulders of people like Julian Assange and other journalists or alleged named journalists, but also the collective efforts of concerned citizens. It's through public pressure, advocacy, and commitment to the values that you hold that you can challenge censorship, demand accountability, and protect the freedom to speak truth to power. I mean, other people's property, right? Let's take a quick break and um, enjoy our alphabet OPP. See you in a few minutes. Naughty by nature. That's what the alphabet agencies are. By nature, they're naughty. Because they have unfettered access to power, intelligence, and information. I mean, the more data you have, the more power you have. And it's not money that derives power to be able to stand against strong gales of corruption. But knowledge, that's what's important. Now, you know, I could just envision President Trump standing in front of a team of people with a grave responsibility, the duty to ensure the safety and well-being of every single American citizen. And in humility and resolve, he announces a monumental operation undertaken in the shadows, uh, right? An operation aimed at dismantling unelected individuals who pose a threat to our collective security, not only within our borders, but outside. In an increasingly interconnected world, power can often lie in the hands of those who operate outside of the realm of oversight, their actions shrouded in secrecy, undermining the very fabric of every single society within this biodome, eroding trust and endangering the lives of countless innocent people. It is in the face of this global menace that people have come together, united in purpose, to confront this looming threat head on. 
The strategy, intentionally cloaked in confusion, disinformation, and absurdity, has been carefully devised to protect both our operatives and the innocent civilians inadvertently entangled in this web of unelected and unchecked power. And by obfuscating our intentions, well, we could minimize the risk of retaliation and maintain the element of surprise necessary to dismantle nefarious networks effectively. Rest assured that if something like this was happening, every measure would have been taken to ensure the utmost respect for human rights and international laws throughout such an operation. And there would be a dedicated team of highly trained individuals. I mean, come on, guys. It's 2023. We don't need Captain America. We need smart people. We need data. We need intelligence. Hmm? And people that are committed to justice and the protection of the innocent. That work diligently to minimize collateral damage and safeguard values we hold dear. We must recognize that in times of conflicts and chaos, which I simply adore, misinformation can abound. However, it's imperative that we trust in the resilience of the people and the strength of our collective discernment. We must not allow ourselves to be swayed by falsehoods or manipulated by those who seek to sow discord. Instead, we must remain vigilant. Critical thinkers is what we need, seeking truth and clarity amidst the fog of confusion. Now, if such an operation would have happened, it would not be undertaken lightly. Now, there's a lot of soft fatalism that occurs. We have to understand the gravity of actions being taken and the potential consequences that they may entail. However, we must firmly believe that it is our moral obligation to protect the innocent, to dismantle structures of unelected power that subvert the will of the people, and to restore integrity, not only to our own nation, but to the global systems. No more UN system. Remember that, system. UN system. It's not the United Nations, it's the United Nations system. I guess Matt Whitaker, who's pretty cool, said it best in regards to the FBI losing its way. He knows. We all know. Please take a look at this short clip aired on uh, Newsmax, I believe. The Durham report showing that there was no collusion between former President Trump and Russia. This, while the House Judiciary Committee's hearings on the FBI alleges weaponization against conservative voices made headlines. And joining us now to discuss is former acting U.S. Attorney General and host of the Liberty and Justice podcast, Matthew Whitaker. Mr. Whitaker, thank you so much for joining us. Now, I want to get your reaction to the Durham report because it really does put an end to any reports of Russia collusion and basically prove that it never happened. You're right. It's good to be with you and Michael this morning. Uh, you know, what I see in this Durham report is not only does it put a coda and complete uh, what a lot of us already knew, and that is that there was no Russian collusion with the Trump campaign. But more importantly, it points out how 
the FBI, especially early in the Russian collusion hoax investigation, was uh, so willing to follow evidence that was manufactured by the Hillary Clinton campaign. And this is what concerns me the most is that, you know, we had the intel and FBI communities uh, do what they did in 16. We had, again, the, the 51 spies who lied in 2020. And now we're heading into 2024. And I'm not convinced, no matter what the FBI says, uh, that the intelligence community and the federal law enforcement community are prepared or, uh, or, or ready to address uh, the real fundamental issues, which is that bad people in the wrong places uh, could do this again. You know, Matt, you say that you don't trust the FBI on their word. You know, I can tell you for decades they've been telling you that they protect their whistleblowers and want whistleblowers to come forward. But look what they're doing. I mean, they're doing what they've always done. That's crushed them. You know, but here's what House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries had to say about the Durham report. This is another example, generally, of right-wing conservatives in terms of their reaction to it, uh, trying to make a mountain out of a molehill. And this is what the extreme MAGA Republicans on the Judiciary Committee and on the Oversight Committee have been doing throughout the year. A mountain out of a molehill. I'll just ask you, uh, Matt, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, he is completely wrong. And this is the problem and why we are going to struggle for some time in the uh, reform of the FBI is because half of America doesn't think there's a problem. Uh, when you have Donald Trump uh, targeted for an investigation uh, that ultimately really slowed down and hamstrung his administration for the first two plus years. I was there, I know exactly what happened. Without the Mueller investigation, without the Russian collusion hoax, you know, we could have accomplished so much more. And it's not to say that we didn't get a lot done, Michael, but the real problem is that it was dominating every day it dominated the news and, and to me i think the democrats were addicted to it and and to have it go away and to have it be con concluded that there was no there there i think disappoints them tremendously and so they're trying to you know uh, assuage their own uh, sadness for this going away finally and not be able to lean in to that narrative anymore yeah, Mr. Whitaker, I want to actually turn now to the House Judiciary Committee's hearing of the FBI's alleged weaponization against conservative voices, because here is Garrett O'Boyle. He was one of the whistleblowers who testified. Take a listen to this. In weaponized fashion, the FBI allowed me to accept orders to a new position halfway across the country. They allowed us to sell my family's home. They ordered me to report to the new unit when our youngest daughter was two weeks old. Then, on my first day on the new assignment, they suspended me rendering my family homeless. <clears throat> they refused to release our goods, including our clothes, for weeks. <clears throat> All I wanted to do was serve my country by stopping bad guys and protecting the innocent. To my chagrin, bad guys have begun running parts of the government, making it difficult to continue to serve this nation and protect the innocent. But I, for one, will never stop trying. It's, it's really hard for me to hear that because it really is so upsetting to hear a person who works for a government agency go through that. What's your reaction when you hear that testimony? 
Yeah, well, each one of those whistleblowers uh, that testified, uh, you know, told us, you know, one part of a store of a broader story. And that is the FBI has lost its way in many regards. And unfortunately, you know, it emanates from the leadership in Washington, D.C. And until we reform that, until we have a, a revival of the FBI and we have the right people in the right places, I think, unfortunately, we're going to hear continue to hear these stories. I, I think the other thing, uh, to your point, uh, earlier. So let's unpack that for a second. How do you know you have the right people in the FBI? Like, say we take it down to the studs, like I've, <laughs> like I've been saying for years. How do you know you have the right people there? Like, how do you know that the person that you're going to put there is not going to be a corrupt clown? How do you know that they're not someone like me that doesn't exist? How would you know? And this is the problem. What we need to understand is that we, we require patience. Transition into an America that is great takes foundation. And in order to do that, you must have a strategy to ensure that it constantly cycles. It's almost like the organization regarding everything that we've been talking about. We've been doing a lot of calls to actions as, as a people in general. A lot of people have been exhausted and they're not warriors pretty much. They don't have that solid footing to say, I'm going to keep at it and I'm going to keep being that gnat in their, mm. but you have to do it perfectly. Like, aside from setting up the legal structure, you have to have the right people in place. How do you know you're going to have the right people in place? You may have them today, but you might not have them tomorrow. How do you ensure that? So, you know, that's something that I've, I'm also working on as a proposal. How do we revamp our government agencies? How do we fix the INR? That's going to be the topic of discussion tomorrow. How do we do that? And there's always a way to fix things without breaking them. You know, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, that say they should be tried and they should be hung. I agree that they should be tried. I don't know about the whole murder part because it's still murder, even if, though, you know, I struggle with that. There's a lot of people that I would be like, yeah, better 10 foot under. But in fact, I would enjoy a 24-7 camera watching them look at themselves all day, uh, a mirror behind plexiglass so they could go insane, uh, where they just talk to themselves and, <laughs> and you just throw in spiritual music. That would totally mess with their demons, but that's just me. But think about it. What he's saying is that we need to fix this, but how do you fix something? How do you know you're going to fix it? So we put Matt, say, in place, right? And we have another 10 mats. And Matt has a 20-year span. How does Matt know that the people that are coming in are going to have not tr good training? Not that the AI will tell you, oh, well, I guess this, because even AI can't predict humankind appropriately, right? I think even AI, that is, for me, I would say there's sentience and it's dangerous and it's already here. Like I said, the truth is stranger than fiction. But how do you know that you can constantly have this revolving door throughout the ages and throughout the years to maintain that impartiality and honesty and dedication to the foundations of the nation and not the Praetorian? Remember, I've I've, I've talked about the Praetorian attitude. You can look it up on an old show, which means that they're dedicated to the leader, not to the country, right? And what we saw is the FBI agents that are out there and that 
Like he said, they only gave you a little portion. Man, if you guys knew what I went through, you'd be like, damn, you'd be crying because it was pretty bad. And, and, and a lot of people can't fathom it. But they told you a little sliver of what they went through. Little sliver. How do you prevent that from happening again? That's a transition phase. And I believe that America 250 will be pushing that through. And hopefully we can have the right plan and reform, not just for government, but our citizens. And you're like, how are you going to reform citizens? Re-education camps? Actually, your kids are attending re-education camps right now in school. Praetorians, remember that. Look it up. Praetorians, remember that. Look it up. It's an ancient term and it's very specific. Let's see what else Mr. Whitaker has to say. You know, I kind of, I'm very jealous of him only because he's actually so kind. I wish to aspire to be like him because I, I know I would have never been able to do my work if I didn't have a dark side. I mean, I mean, you do have to be in the dark to get some light, right? I guess. But listen to what he says here. Is that you know the FBI um, doesn't protect whistleblowers? They you know they don't consider these individuals whistleblowers, and I don't understand how the people that they're whistleblowing against get to determine whether or not they qualify as whistleblowers. I mean, each one of these gentlemen, I think, had an important story that the American people needed to hear, uh, and the fact that the Democrats are waving this off as 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 you know some you know conservative conspiracy theory, I think you know is 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 a shame because at the end of the day, you know, the FBI and, and needs to be fixed, and I think Congress is the only one that's going to be able to do it. You know, Matt, just for those that want to take the contrarian side of this and they want to say that you know maybe these guys did something wrong maybe they really are traitors or whatever they had a two-week-old baby and they wouldn't give them back their clothes for two weeks how does that have anything to do with anything even if this person did something wrong which i don't believe they did but it just doesn't add up but in you know in the last minute that you have can you tell us what do you think they can actually do to change the fbi so this doesn't happen again Well, there's going to be a couple things. I think, first of all, you know, Congress needs to have a much stronger oversight uh, responsibility that they need to lean into. I think the Democrats over, you know, before the, uh, you know, midterms uh, were hands off because the FBI was doing their bidding and helping them win elections. But I think fundamentally, the FBI and federal law enforcement writ large is going to need to lean into their mission, which is to do the basic blocking and tackling of law enforcement, to do good cases, to not get involved in the politics of of what happens in Washington, D.C., and to ultimately earn back uh, the respect and the trust of the American people. And I think we're a long way from that. I think it can be done. And I think the mission is very important. Absolutely. Uh, Attorney General Matthew Whitaker, thank you for your expertise and for joining us uh, to discuss that very important topic. Thank you, Matt. All right. Thank you both. How fascinating. How fascinating that we have foreign press totally embracing this. Now, I want to show you a tweet that I put out. So in this tweet, I said... Um, Let me pull it up. I said, (laughs) hey, since Biden is president, he's your Democrat nominee. They've canceled primaries. No debates. He's it. That's it. See, that's the spirit of democracy they peddle. Can you see the tyrants now? No other options. 
right? No other options. Okay, VP then for GOP RFK. Now, why do I say this? Well, it was quite interesting script and it was done by someone who claimed time travelers went and hacked her shit. But I think it's important that you hear it. I found Tulsi actually talking about it. So let me play this clip for you guys. I think it's um, quite fascinating. Do you like Tulsi, Tori? Fuck no. But it's whatever, right? Just because I don't like her doesn't mean I can't share her things. See how that goes? But just listen to this clip. Listen to Mika and Joe. The Democratic side, Bobby Kennedy Jr., doing well. He's at 19%. Hasn't really gotten that that much out there. I mean, it's, and I'm starting to hear more and more talk about him. Are we going to actually have a challenge here? I'm trying not to laugh, Joe. There's not going to be. Can I just, can I stop you for a second? Do you know? How many people said the same thing about Donald Trump That's in 2015 true. on yes, this show? Except said I will the note same exact left. thing. Yes, because there was going to be a Republican primary. But I really think that uh, the mealy mouth Democrats, as I like to call them, and some of my progressive friends who would like to live in a fantasy land, they need to come back to reality. Yeah. And the reality is this. The sitting president of the United States of America is a Democrat, a Democrat that would like to run for re-election so much so that he has declared a re-election campaign. In that case, the Democratic National Committee will not facilitate a primary process. There will be no debate stage for Bobby Kennedy, Marianne Marianne Williamson, or anyone else to stand So we're going to have another Bobby Kennedy in an empty chair in the debate, right? There will be no debate. Yeah, no debate. (laughs) The Democratic National Committee administers the debates, and they're not going to set up a primary process for debates for someone to challenge the head of the Democratic Party. The Democratic side, Bobby Kennedy Jr., Did you guys hear that? Did you hear that? Are you hearing that? Are the Democrats hearing that? You don't need to have choices. We're telling you this is who it is and that's it. Take it. Mm -mm. We're fixing that. I mean, Gavin has to step in temporarily, I guess. We got to make it fun. We got to get full chaos. You know, I would have, I would have preferred. I would have preferred. The more controlled chaos that I proposed in November of 2020. We should have just stuck with 56 senators and canceled and, and deemed that all elections, 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020 were invalid due to not compliance with congressional statutes. But everyone looked at me and said, that's chaos. And I was like, damn, bitches, you have no idea what's going to come. We could either do this, Right. Or we could do what is happening right now. That's exactly what they said, Tori. That would be chaos. And I was like, so we can control that chaos because it's facts and it's targeted. That chaos would have been, what, six months? It would have been game over. We would have people saying, well, wait, 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 wait. We're reverting the clock back. Holy shit. Machines were certified in 2016. So fuck that. They all expired in February 2017, so everything after that is invalid. We're not taking any sides. All Republicans and Democrats that were elected during those years are out. You have no say. These are the people we have in the Senate, and that's it. Period. No Congress. Done. Done. But it would be chaos, Tori. But this is better. No. You know why they wanted this? Money. Money. Deals. 
money, deals, right? We don't need deals. We don't need money. We need the people to self-govern. We need people with knowledge. I mean, you can fact check me because I said that shit in November. Said it in December. Said it in January. And I had general standing across from me saying that would be chaos. And I'm like, what are you worried about? Mm? I'm not scared. Why are you? It's pretty, it's pretty upsetting. But it is what it is. It is what it is. What can we do, right? Let's take this clip where we have Brigadier General Blaine Halt and former CIA analyst Fred Flint discuss the FBI Whistleblower Protection Act. There is no protection. The minute you open your mouth, they're watching you. The minute you move a hair, they know where you are. You can't win. They put you in a box. And then it's game over for you. Hmm. Well, let's see what they had to say. Corruption in the FBI. Three FBI agents testifying on Wednesday about the institutional rot at the FBI and the DOJ. Joining us now for more is the vice chair of the Center for American Security for America First Policy Institute and former chief of staff of the National Security Council, Fred Flights, and retired Air Force Brigadier General and Newsmax contributor Blaine Holt. Gentlemen, welcome. General, you wrote an op-ed for Newsmax, um, and it's focused on what you call the anticlimactic closing curtain on the John Durham investigation. Why do you think that this makes government immaterial breach of the Constitution. Well, it's it, good morning, and it's great to be with you all. The, the The trouble here is that you have folks who swore an oath to our Constitution. You are supposed to have due process, and what we find revealed is all these crimes, 380 pages of crimes, and and no accountability that Durham doesn't even recommend prosecutions. And then after all, who would do the prosecutions if, the, if, if, if we have this widespread corruption? What's emblematic is these three taking their chairs and telling their stories about how they clung to their oath of office to, and, and, and sworn oath to the Constitution through all of this. And, and they've had their lives wrecked and they continue to be vindictive on these people. And now it's not so hard to understand why so many who took this oath would be silent, would be in fear uh, when this is how our government institutions are led and run. The, the government is in breach of the Constitution, um, and you can see it on the, the southern border every day as a reminder that Article 4, Section 4 is not adhered to in any way, hmm. shape, or form. The security, uh, the, 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 the necessary uh, edict to provide security uh, for all of the states of the Union. Fred, good morning. Good to have you with us as well. want to get your take on what we saw play out last week on Capitol Hill. Uh, you know, I have very strong feelings about this. Now, let's talk about how these FBI whistleblowers have been treated. When it was announced they were going to testify, retaliation against them increased. They appeared at the hearing, and the Democrats said they're not real whistleblowers because the FBI has determined they're not real whistleblowers. I don't know how the FBI can say that. Obviously, it objects to what it's saying. But, you know, Rob, what really bothers me is where's the ACLU? Where are these whistleblower organizations that protect whistleblowers? They're all silent. These people are being retaliated against. They are being retaliated against for speaking to Congress. And all these organizations that are supposed to be sticking up for them 
we're not hearing a word from. Well, and just on that note, we had Amir Benno on last week, constitutional law attorney, and he was talking about the Whistleblower Protection Act. He said the biggest problem with the Whistleblower Protection Act is that the people that are tasked with doing the protecting are the same people that these three agents were blowing the whistle on last week on Capitol Hill. So really tough to to expect the FBI and the DOJ to try and stick up for these three agents. Also, you know, there are exceptions for people in the FBI and intelligence agencies from that act. And the reason is that if you're if you have a job in national security, the government wants to have the right to release you with no questions asked because of the danger of of you leaking classified information. But there still are protections for these people and they're being violated. Amir suggested that we should use a third party to do it, an independent third party body that has the authority constitutionally to to offer protection. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, General, just a quick follow-up on that. You mentioned accountability. Do you think there will be any accountability for uh, for the leaders in the FBI? Because I think when we talk about the FBI, a lot of people think it's the agents, and it's really not the agents. It's the leadership. But do you think anything's going to change? Right, and we're focused on just the FBI. But this is all three-letter agencies going right across the board. You look at the weaponization of the IRS, the weaponization of the Department of Homeland Security, the DOD, on and on and on. And accountability is what's keeping us from having our government run in perfect order. Right now, we don't have any accountability. And I I get it, Congress has oversight hearings and we see that happening. But right now, so far, they're ornamental. And Speaker McCarthy, I like a lot of things that he's pushing out on. He's got a big task with this debt ceiling, but he's already said publicly that he does not support the impeachment of uh, Secretary Mayorkas. So when we start to see uh, articles of impeachment drawn up on Ray or others, which is appropriate given what's happened, they've got to support that. They've got to follow through. Uh, otherwise, we can see that our government's not functioning. General, we're going to talk about the war in Ukraine past 450 days uh, on Friday. We're going to talk about that coming up in just a little bit. Fred, I want to play you a soundbite. This is Florida Congressman Byron Donalds. And he, you know, he goes on these other networks, so I applaud him for that. I believe this is CNN. Um, but he goes on and he's asked questions about the war in Ukraine. and, and what, Or check that. This is MSNBC thank you to my team. Um, He's asked questions about who the right person would be to try and end this war. We never hear about ending this war. Take a listen. To me, it's not really about Donald Trump versus Ron DeSantis. It's about what America needs. And that's where I've been really since day one. We, I talked a little bit about foreign policy in the last block. Mm -hmm. We have a situation right now where Russia's on the move and China is on the move. We need somebody who can step in day one, look at Vladimir Putin, look at Xi Jinping and say, okay, enough. I think there's only one person who has that ability right now, and it's Donald Trump. Fred, your reaction to that about 15 seconds? I think he's right. Look, Trump had the guts to say in the CNN town hall, I don't talk about winning or losing. I just want to stop the killing. And I, that's a terrible thing to say for the Ukrainians. They don't want to lose territory. But they're going to lose a long-term war of attrition. And nobody's talking about ending the war except for Donald Trump. And and I, I think right now he's the only one who, who's had the guts to say, let's just stop talk about who's right or wrong. Let's stop the killing and then we'll work out the other details later. Okay. The other side, of course, is that basically that's a tacit admission that the war's still going to be going on 20 months from now. That's Election Day 2024. A long time. Uh, General Holt, we'll see you in just a little bit. 2024. How far away is it? Well, we're almost done with 2023. I mean, we're going to have Christmas in July very, very soon. Let's take a short break so we can take a, a little bit of a shift of gear. So we could talk a little bit about what's going overseas before I rickroll you guys out of here. I mean, this is a train wreck, so train sounds appropriate for this. Of course, with other people's property, of course. 
take it frame by frame it. To have y'all on jumping, shouting, saying it. Oh, it's for other P, it's for people scratch a temple. The last P, well, that's not that simple. <laughs> it's sort of like a well, another way to call a cat a kitten. It's five little letters that are missing, yeah. You get it on occasion if the other party isn't gaming. It seems I gotta start the explaining, bust it. You ever had a girl that met her on a nice hello? They get her name and number, then let feel it real my low. You get home, wait a day, she's what you wanna know about. Then you call up and it's a girlfriend's or a cousin's house. It's not a front of F to the R to the O to the N to the T. It's just a boyfriend's out of house. Oh, that's what she's it's OPP time, other people's, but you get it. There's no room for relationships, it's just room to hit it. How many brothers out there know this what I'm getting at? Who think it's wrong cause I was splitting and co-hitting that? Well, if you do that's OPP and you're not down with it. But if you don't, here's your membership. You're down with OPP. Yeah, you know me. You're down with OPP. Yeah, you know me. You're down with OPP. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with OPP? Well, as someone that got down with OPP, as someone that took an oath and I feel sometimes throughout my life that maybe I've forgotten it, maybe my oath was more Praetorian than anything else. I think remembering it and abiding by it is very important. An oath is very important. And we should remember that. Now, as, uh, as time is, I guess, evolving, global political leaders and my cat, of course, are discussing about BRI development in Beijing. And I think it's important to understand, well, introduce you to that concept for later. Please take a second to see what the Chinese are doing. Stepping into the hall, the discussion on the Belt and Road with Give me a second. Let me start that again. You got to hear the first words. Please. Enjoy. The former Prime Minister of Romania stepping into the hall. The discussion on the Belt and Road Initiative has officially started. It's a Friday afternoon with light drizzles but the experts still made their way to Renmin University to share their insights on the initiative. The Belt and Road Initiative was launched by China in 2013 to improve regional connectivity and facilitate economic integration. Ultimately, it aims to benefit people's livelihoods and welfare. Now, over 150 countries and 30 international organizations have participated in this endeavor. The idea of um, uh, rapid connection of um, roads uh, and maritime uh, lines of communication are essential for trade, for people, for technology. And that's why, uh, uh, in my opinion, the Belt and Road represents uh, the project of the century. Well, 10 years on, as the project is bringing new roads and bridges, sound education systems, and better health programs to the participant countries. Some critics have stated that China's Belt and Road Initiative is dead trap diplomacy. But the experts here are totally disagree. This is absolutely stupid. Every, every company in the world that wants to grow big has to borrow money. 
they, if, if a company never took on debt, every company would still be extremely small. The important thing is you have to make a good investment so you can repay the debt. There is a risk from making a bad investment. There is not a risk. The idea that you shouldn't take on any debt is absolutely stupid. And if you apply that to any large company in the world, they'll tell you it's completely stupid because none of them do it. Most developing countries, many of them, uh, suffer from a severe debt crisis long before the BRI was created. Uh, in fact, the external debt of the developing countries stands at $11 trillion. This is not debt pre produced by the BRI. This is debt that has been inherited uh, by the BRI project when it enters a country. During the symposium, Organizers released a research report that reviewed the assessment that China's development has reached its peak. It argues that China's growth and development is a boost to Belt and Road Initiative. Wang Tianyu, CGTN, Beijing. Ding. So, I wonder what was under that mall. Could have been Chinese too, right? Maybe, right, Joe? Maybe, right, Joe? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Ah, I mean, it's pretty interesting. But let's move over to Turkey for a second. Oh, no, 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 no. Actually, I should look at what's happening to Zuckerberg in Europe. Union Meta has been fined a record $1.3 billion and ordered to stop transferring data collected from Facebook users in Europe to the United States. Now, the fine has been imposed on charges that the company violated European Union data protection rules. The penalty has been announced by Ireland's Data Protection Commission and it is potentially one of the most consequential in the five years since the European Union enacted the landmark data privacy law, known as the General Data Protection Regulation. Regulators say that Mark Zuckerberg's Meta failed to comply with the 2020 decision by the EU's highest court that data shipped across the Atlantic was not sufficiently protected from American spy agencies. The ruling applies only to Facebook and not Instagram and WhatsApp, which Meta also owns. Now, Meta said that it would appeal the decision and there would be no immediate disruption to Facebook's service in the European Union. The European Union and American officials are negotiating a new data sharing pact that would provide new legal protections for Meta to continue moving information about users between the United States and Europe. A preliminary deal was announced just last year, yet the EU decision shows that how government policies are upending the borderless way that data has traditionally moved. And as a result of data protection rules, national security laws and other regulations, companies are increasingly being pushed to store data within the country where it is collected rather than allowing it to move freely to data centers around the world. Now, Meta argues that without the ability to transfer data across borders, the internet risks being carved up into national and regional silos. Restricting the global economy and leaving citizens in different countries unable to access many of the shared services we have come to rely on. Hmm, Facebook. What's going on there? Oh, you mean you didn't protect what they wanted you to protect? You're paying a fine? Let's just launder a little bit of money. But let's talk about the Turkish elections. This is a quite interesting take right now. Very interesting take by Al Jazeera. Take a listen. Oh, by the way, Al Jazeera owns a lot of our own media outlets here too. Here we go. 
vote in Turkey. Third place candidate Sinan Owen has thrown his support behind President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Both Erdogan and opposition leader Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu had courted Owen's team. His voters are seen as key to securing victory on Sunday. Erdogan had finished just short of 50% support in the first round, while Owen had secured just over 5% of the vote. Well, Russell Sada is live for us uh, from Ankara now. And uh, Russell, just how significant is this ahead of uh, the runoff? Well, as of the moment, it is quite difficult to predict which kind of impact it will have, this announcement will have, on the outcome of the second round in the presidential election. So far, it's not clear yet because we do not know whether he will be able to move his supporters in favor of President Erdogan in the runoff. Because the, as of now, we still do not know how his base is loyal to him. What is the extent of the emotional connection between him and his supporters? Because that has never been tested yet. However, Sinanoan is a young, far-right uh, nationalist politician in Turkey. And throughout of his election campaign, he has promised to his supporters, if he's elected, he's going to send back immediately, send all of the Syrian immigrants back to their countries, if uh, voluntarily, if not by force. So that has been the main argument, the main pillar of his uh, election campaign. So as of now, uh, based on these ideas, he has also built an alliance uh, with particularly a party that's a, another far-right party led by Emit Özda. But now his party, his alliance is quite fragmented. So he today announced that he's going to support President Erdogan. But for now, we still do not know what is going to be impact because it's not clear whether he's going to be able to mobilize his voters, his supporters in favor of President Erdogan. However, one thing is definitely clear that in this second round, the nationalists are going to determine the results. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much for that update. That is Russell Sutter for us in Ankara. Well, joining us from Istanbul is Seda Demirap, an associate professor of Ishik University. I uh, thank you very much for, for joining us on this news hour. I guess, uh, first of all, what's your reaction to Owan going with Erdogan? Was it widely expected? Hi, thank you for um, having me. Well, um, it was relatively more expected since yesterday when he suggested that um, he will promote continuity and stability because continuity and stability were um, keywords of Erdogan's campaign, right? After Mm -hmm. uh, 20 years, that's pretty much uh, what he could uh, promise, um, just continuity um, rather than normalization of the economy or improvement of um, rights and liberties. Erdogan focused on his promise of stability. So yesterday, many people started to believe that Sinanoan is probably going to support Erdogan when he used the word continuity. And today, in his speech today, he also said that he believed that both the executive branch and the legislative branch being dominated by the same party um, is a good thing Mm -hmm. for stability. And he justified his decision based on this argument. So um, it was also relatively expected because Kılıçdaroğlu is most likely to um, lose in the second round. He's facing an 
uphill. Yeah, um, well, that's um, what I wanted to race. ask about you. You ne- ask you about next. I mean, does this basically mean that it's Erdogan's election to lose? Can you repeat that? Sorry. Does that now make Erdogan the the overwhelming favourite going into this runoff? Right. Yeah, yeah. Erdogan was already, he had a major advantage after the first round. We know that typically um, whichever leader takes the lead in the first round is has a clear advantage in the second round unless something surprising happens that would affect turnouts of um, both sides, right? Mm. And um, the gap between Erdogan's and Kılıçdaroğlu's votes um, were not easy to um, close, even if most all Sinanoan supporters uh, or most of them, you know, supported Kılıçdaroğlu because many of Kılıçdaroğlu's voters were not planning to go vote in the second round because they were highly um, demotivated. Mm. And already we knew that half of Sinanoan voters' second choice was Erdogan. We knew that from the polls. So um, probably Sinanoan thought that him supporting Kılıçdaroğlu is not going to bring a win for Kılıçdaroğlu. So he's not going to be the kingmaker if he supported Kılıçdaroğlu and he probably didn't want to be on the losing side. Um, so yeah, by okay. and and, and I, I I expect some of his voters um, not following his decision to uh, support Erdogan. Some of his supporters are include protest voters. They are highly secularist. They have national sentiments. So in that respect, they may have similarities with the incumbent side, but they are secularists. So they keep their distance to Erdogan and his uh, People's yeah. Alliance. Just but, on that, um, our correspondent Russell Serda was, was talking a little bit about this uh, a couple of minutes ago, uh, basically saying that Owen built his presidential campaign on pledges of sending refugees uh, back to their countries aggressively. What will happen to them now if Erdogan does get re-elected? I mean, is that, is that a real possibility here? Well, sending refugees back is hard, but... Sinanoan may secure a tightening of um, refugee policies and like limit future admission of um, refugees. Uh, but sending existing refugees back, I don't think, I, I think it's a slim chance. Um, that's, I don't think this is a high possibility, particularly um, Erdogan just two days ago um, clearly said that he has no intention of sending refugees back. So I don't see I don't expect Erdogan to um, take a step back there. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. But thank you so much for your time uh, and your insight. That is Sida Demiralp, an associate professor at Ishik University. Thank you. Now that's fascinating. Now what if Erdogan was to lose the runoff election? Well, let's just listen to what German news has to tell us about that before we unpack that elections. Even though the Turkish president did not secure an absolute majority, Recep Tayyip Erdogan's supporters are pleased. It was the will of the people. This isn't the sentiment in Istanbul's artistic quarter Kuzunjuk. Following positive projections for the opposition, most people here are hoping for a change in government and a new direction for Turkey. 
They're setting their hopes on the runoff election. A second round of voting, gosh. But I do believe we have a chance and I hope we can still pull it off. We'll have to roll up our sleeves again, because we want to finally live in a free, democratic country where everyone feels safe. Janzo Yapuca has long fought for a democratic Turkey alongside her mother, Mucella Yapuca, who's now been in jail for over a year. She was sentenced to 18 years on charges of assisting an attempt to overthrow the government. The architect, seen here with her daughter at the sentencing, had campaigned for social urban developments that were earthquake-proof and was involved in the protest movement at Istanbul's Gezi Park. I especially like this picture from prison. It shows my mother both relaxed and strong. The authorities imprisoned my mother to intimidate other activists. But do you see a fearful woman in this photo? The families of these non-violent political prisoners in Turkey have their hopes set on the opposition candidate. Kemal Kilic de Rulu has promised the release of Mucella Yapuchu and others if he wins. We've gone through a roller coaster of emotions in the past year. That the fate of my mother and other prisoners depends on the outcome of this election just shows how bad things have gotten in Turkey. She often goes to the sea to take her mind off things, but she refuses to give up. Like her mother, she too is an architect and has been very involved in women's rights for many years. But state repression and hostility in the pro-government media have taken their toll. You mean they're going through the shit we're going through with pro-government media? Well, let me tell you. We've been talking about Turkey for a while because that's where everything centers, right? Because we need to understand the dynamics between Turkey, Western nations, and the stability of the Middle East. Turkey, a nation, is a nation um, of historical significance and strategic importance and plays a very pivotal role in maintaining regional stability and fostering cooperation between the East and West. However, however... We all know that the desire to reinstate the Ottoman Empire is key for them. Turkey is situated at the crossroads of Europe, Asia, and the Middle East, which gives access, obviously, to Africa, too. And it possesses a unique geopolitical position. So I've, I've said this before many, many times. And that cannot be overlooked. Its strategic location bridges continents and connects cultures. That's why it's been a vital partner. I guess, in a way, for Westerns, for the Western nations seeking stability, or shall I say, an avenue in to the other regions. Now, the stability of the Middle East is of paramount importance, with far-reaching implications for global peace, security, economic prosperity. And Turkey has deep-seated historical ties and cultural influence there, even though the Arab nations will never call them one of their own right? And um, they are not part of their Muslim brotherhood. 
It does have the potential to be a driving force, Turkey does in that sense, for positive change in that complex reason. As we can see, a complex change, meaning the schools that he has established, the military training camp he has ex established in the Horn of Africa, which leads us to Ethiopia too, which will be the topic of discussion tomorrow because everyone's trying to revisit the shit that we've been talking about for a while. But just to understand, through dialogue, diplomacy, and partnerships, maneuvering that very icy shelf of Turkey can foster cooperation and bridge divides that have plagued regions for nations by cutting deals. However, the desire to reinstate the Ottoman Empire trumps their ability to ensure their key pivotal role within the East meets, East meets West and Africa meets East and West, right? It's, ex it's very important for people to understand their historical legacies and cultural pride. They love the genocide they did. They justify it. But it's equally crucial to recognize the pursuit of imperialistic ambition that undermines the principles of sovereignty, self-determination, and the pursuit of peace. This is a very delicate balancing act. Western nations have found themselves right now at crossroads. On one hand, they seek to foster stability and cooperation and economic prosperity with Turkey as a, a valued partner. I mean, they are number two in NATO in regards to force. But on the other hand, they must remain vigilant, ensuring that ambitions to reinstate the Ottoman Empire do not compromise the fundamental principles of sovereignty and, I guess, democratic governance. <laughs> Bullshit. They give zero Fs on that front. So engagement, dialogue, diplomacy are very important because Western nations have to encourage Turkey to play a constructive role, <laughs> you know, handle Turkey in the right way. And right now they can't handle Erdogan. He's like at the point like, nah, look what I did to you in Sudan. <laughs> Wait till it all comes down. Everyone should remain vigilant, ensuring that ambitions to reinstate the Ottoman Empire don't compromise these principles. The pursuit of stability in the Middle East cannot be achieved through the resurrection of past empires, but through collective efforts grounded in respects for the rights and aspirations of all nations and people involved, not as a collective nation, but individuals' nations, fostering dialogue and supporting whatever institutions they want to support. They want, you know, Sharia law, let them have Sharia law. It's their business. Nobody wants it. They just leave, right? Pretty much. Now, aside from Turkey being at that point, right? It's important for us to understand one concept today that'll assist us in understanding all things that are occurring in secret, in the shadows, and right in your face. Understanding the difference between perceived risk and real risk are two different things. Real risk refers to something that you can measure objectively a probability of an event or outcome occurring that can cause harm, loss, or negative consequences. It's based on empirical data, statistics, right, factual evidence. Real risks are typically determined through research, analysis, and assessment of potential hazards or dangers. That's what real risk is. But perceived risk refers to an individual's subjective evaluation or perception of the level of risk associated with a particular situation or decision or activity.
It's influenced by personal beliefs, experiences, emotions, and cognitive biases. Perceived risk may not always align with the actual level of risk, as it can be influenced by factors such as media coverage, social influence, fear, or misinformation. Let's uh, understand that better. Here's the key differences. Measurability is one. This is how you can tell the difference between a real, actual risk and a perceived risk. Because a lot of people that I see on social media, even in my groups and on my chats and on my tweets and on my truths and on my telegrams and wherever else, real risk can be quantified or assessed using statistical methods. For example, the real risk, if President Trump continued on the, hey, this COVID thing is no big deal, let's just close the borders and not let people come in so they can't spread the chemicals, right? If he continued with that, the real risk would have been that they would have went after him, the Joint Chief of Staff would have taken over, and you would have had your fucking military control that are pieces of shit, and lots of you would be dead right now, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's a real risk. Whereas a perceived risk is more difficult to measure. It varies from person to person. So the perceived risk is what you perceive. Doesn't mean it's true. And it can be amplified by the media or not. So President Trump had to make a choice, real risk or perceived risk. He's like, fuck it. Let's go with perceived risk. Let them trash me. Let me showcase them. Let me do that. Because that's a perceived risk. That's a perception issue. That's them making up shit. That's them saying shit without me saying it. Let them pull their own pants down. Influence and behavior. Real risks have more direct impact on decision-making and behavior as they represent actual potential harm or consequences directly. Perceived risks, even if they don't align with real risks, can still significantly impact individuals' choices and actions. That's key. Then there's the accuracy of it. Real risks are based on verifiable data and scientific analysis, providing a more accurate representation of the actual level of risk. Perceived risks, on the other hand, may not always align with the objective reality and can be influenced by cognitive biases or emotional factors. We'll revisit this. Objective versus subjective is how you can tell real from perceived risk. Real risk is objective. It does not take into account cognitive biases. It does not care what side of the fence you're on. It doesn't care what color you are. It doesn't care about your gender, your money, nothing. It's simply based on empirical evidence and data. While perceived risk is subjective, evaluation influenced by individual perceptions and biases. And I want you guys to remember The perceived risks can fluctuate over time. They can be influenced by various factors, including changes in personal circumstances, new information, or shifts to societal attitudes. Real risks may also change based on involving data and research, but they're typically more stable and less susceptible to short-term fluctuations. It's important. It's important because this is how you can segue what uh, coercion really means, right? Because as we talk about coercion, we talk about using the act of force, threats, manipulation to compel someone or a group to do something against their will. While coercion is very effective in certain situations, it becomes a very weak angle when dealing with people who hold power. Now, how does that work? 
Well, power often comes with access to alternative options and resources. Those with power may have greater freedom to choose alternatives that don't require succumbing to coercion. They may have the means to mitigate or avoid the negative consequences associated with noncompliance. The power that they hold can be monetary, uh, influential, whichever. Reputational risks are also taken into account when coercion comes in. Coercion attempts uh, against people with power carry a significant reputational risk for the coercer. Powerful individuals often have higher public profile, and any attempt to coerce or manipulate them can lead to severe backlash, damage the coercer's reputation, and potential legal consequences. This acts as a deterrent for those seeking to employ coercion against powerful individuals. See, when you want to go against someone and ruin their reputation like they have to President Donald J. Trump, they lose their credibility, just like I said. The coercer's reputation is in the toilet now. And people are starting to not, how did body language go say it? Join their party, how she said it, amplify their message. Mm. People with power often have access to influential networks and alliances. They can provide support and protection. They may have connections to legal experts, advisors, or other powerful individuals who can help them navigate and address coercion attempts effectively. Be surprised how many super soldiers are out there. Now, power dynamics is important when thinking of coercion, when you want to go coerce someone, right? You have to think that people with power often have the greater ability to resist counter-coercion tactics. They have resources, influence, or legal protections that make it more difficult to coerce and manipulate them. But individuals in positions of power may have more experience in navigating such situations, making them less susceptible to coercion. For example, I was being coerced. I was told, you guys have no idea the amount of deals that I was offered when standing up to the Attorney General. Promises of my ties somewhere in Costa Rica. Promises of free education for my children and protection. Promises of just shut up and get lost and we'll take care of it. Promises that we have something that you might want to know and we'll help you with it. Hmm. They tried to coerce me. But see, I consider myself someone that has more experience in navigating such situations because I used to create the boxes for people like this. Therefore, I was less susceptible. That's what's important. They have to have bargaining power. And power gives individuals the ability to negotiate and bargain from a position of strength. If you take it objectively, and I'm using my example because it's personal, so I can elaborate on that, rather than, you know, objectively or possibly subjectively of someone else, I can say that, hey, when you have the Attorney General, the U.S. Attorney's Office, FBI, former FBI, former CIA, CIA, DIA, DNI, all of them crawling up your ass, they have power and they're bargaining from a position of strength. But it takes only one solid footing to make sure that the leverage, resources, or alternative options that may be available to you to counter or neutralize the coercion attempts are there. Or you just say, fuck it. Go on, give me your best. That, I believe, is one of the most effective counter-coercion strategy. Call them out and say, all right, do your worst. When you know that you have all your ducks in a row. And that's something that Many people fail 
to abide by and ensure that they stick to. As a person who has not been the best person, that's how I see myself, maybe blindsided, maybe I believed in the hopium that was provided to me, or as I explained earlier, how private intelligence agencies are almost imperative in, in, in our era. I can say that coercion is one of the biggest tools they use, and it's usually to threat someone's life. You know, yesterday, I went to some event because it was a holiday for St. Helens and Constantine and um, had a discussion with someone. They were like, well, you know, I had to take it. And I said, no, you didn't. Now you have issues. If your life, if the value of your life is less than having a job, and your perspective on life is completely erroneous. So when you hear people, I felt forced. You have to understand just how weak they are. They didn't value that life that's already on a ticking timer to end, right? From your first breath till your last, from the first time you take a breath, it's a clock that just started till the last. And if your life is worth less than your job, you're doing it wrong. You're doing life wrong. Definitely doing it wrong. So here we go with my outro. Never going to wake you up. I'll rickroll you. Have a wonderful evening. God bless. Once upon a time, not so long ago, we're no strangers to love. You know the rules, and so do I. I full commitments while I'm thinking of. You wouldn't get this from any other guy. I just want to tell you how I'm feeling. Gotta make you understand.